You know, there's many Old Testament stories uh, that are that are so interesting, and and um, many of them come from the Book of Judges. Um, sometimes you kind of, I always kind of think, what are we? What is our takeaway here? And I think uh, Ehud, uh, the second judge of, of Israel, um, it's, it's an interesting story, and uh, trying to come up with some things that I think we can take away from it. In chapter 3, beginning of chapter in Judges, well, the first couple of chapters, we have Joshua dying. And then, beginning of chapter 3, uh, the children of Israel have conquered the land of Canaan, the promised land, and they've divided the land. But as we well know, they are still living among their own enemies. And uh, we can see the surrounding enemies that are living amongst them and around them continue to... Uh, to bring harm to the children of Israel. In, in chapter 3, uh, God says that he left these people there uh, to test Israel so that they would know uh, to come to trust him, that they would not uh, be swayed by the, uh, by the false gods and to know who the true God is. We know this didn't work well for the children of Israel. They always fell uh, and, and did not live up to, to God's desire. And looking at this map, just a quick aside. Um, I don't know if that pointer is working. Yeah, you see this little land here, Philistines. We see that on the, uh, the news these days uh, that now is referred to as Gaza Strip. Uh, so that's just an interesting side point there. So uh, the first judge comes. You know, there's a, a, a the Israel is attacked by the king of Mesopotamia. God raises a judge. He's over, and so it's actually pretty quick for the second part of that uh, that chapter three. And then um, I think it starts in verse twelve. Uh, we have uh, following. The defeat of the king of Mesopotamia, there's 40 years where the, where the land rested. Um, and I would assume the children of Israel are pretty much living as they should be, trusting in God and learning their lesson. But after the 40 years, they, they again turned to evil. And uh, so God raised up one of these the king of Moab, uh, which is in the south um, southeastern part of the border with Israel, and made him powerful. Uh, Eglon then partners with a couple of other uh, of the nations around him, and he overthrows Israel, attacks Israel, overthrows it, subjects Israel to his his own throne, so that they have to serve him. And. After 18 years of the servitude to the foreign king, uh, foreign nation, uh, the children of Israel then turn back to God. And so God raises up Ehud. Ehud is from the tribe of Benjamin and is noted that he's left-handed. I don't know why he's pointed out that he's left-handed, but uh, it made me think, just again, another aside, uh, how many left-handed people are we, do we know about in the Bible? And I looked at that, and it was found this very interesting. There are several other, a couple of other occasions of left-handed people. They're all Benjamites. 
uh, we have later in the book of, of Judges, um, where the tribe of Benjamin uh, rises up against the rest of Israel, and it is noted that there are 700 Benjamites that are left-handed, that are slingers of stone, and that they could hit a, a, a hare every time. I don't know what that means. But. And then, and then uh, uh, David, uh, and David, as he's fighting Saul, Saul's Benjamite, but among, uh, among uh, David's army was a group of Benjamites uh, that could uh, shoot arrows and sling stones either right hand or left hand. Uh, I don't know, just interesting aside, that means nothing. Uh, but it's uh, just something that I, uh, I kind of pursued my own uh, thought on that. So God raises up Ehud the Benjamite, a left-handed man. So Ehud fashions himself or creates a sword. Uh, it says one cubit, about 18 inches. Uh, that is... Uh, 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 that is a double-bladed sword, sharpened on both ends. And uh, he straps that to his right thigh. He's left-handed, so he's going to draw from, his, from, his, uh, from the right thigh. And he, Ehud, and we learn that there's a group of people that go with Ehud. They go to King Eglon in Moab to pay tribute that, that Moab... Uh, is asking uh, from from the Israelites since he's conquered them, and so as they go in, and Ehud and his group come in and present the the, the tribute to the king Moab, and it appears that they all leave, and they don't go very far, and Ehud sends the rest of the people back, and he returns to the king and says, "I have a message for the king." Well, King Ehud, we learn at this point, he's a very fat man. Um, so, he, e Ehud is with Eglon. Eglon sends everybody else away. Whatever this message is, Eglon wants to hear it first himself before anybody else hears it. So when Eglon clears the room, it's just Ehud and Eglon in the room together. Ehud says... I have a message from the word from the, the Lord God. And he draws his sword and he shoves it in his belly, Eglon's belly, such that the sword sinks completely, even engulfs the hilt of the sword. And Eglon's bowels spill out into the floor. So Ehud, killing the king, no one else is around. He goes out of the room, he locks the door behind him, and works on his escape. Well the servants come and they check the door, and uh, it's locked. And so they presume, and New American Sanders says that Eglon is relieving himself. The King James says he's covering his feet. He's obviously the smell of the bowels on the floor is probably uh, giving the idea uh, to the people what was going on in the room with Eglon by himself in the room. So they leave him alone for a while. That gives Ehud more time to escape. When they finally go in, they find a key, they go in, they open the door, they find their king dead. Ehud has managed to escape, and he, and he goes all the way back to the land of Ephraim, into the hill country of Ephraim. He blows a trumpet and rallies the Israelites uh, around him. 
he says, pursue them for the Lord is giving your enemies, the, the, the Moabites, into your hands. So they, the Ehud leads the Israelite army back down to the Jordan River where they then seize the different fords, the crossing points of the Jordan River, holding the Moabites over to the other side. And from that strategic advantage, they were able to kill 10,000 of the men of, of Moabite, Moab, thus defeating the, the Moabite army and the Moabite uh, overthrow of, of the Israelites. And it, it says it's noted that they had 80 years of, of peace following, following this. I'm not sure, but I believe that might be the one of the longest periods of, of peace following, uh, following a, 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 a foreign nation overthrow of Israel. So, uh, a great story with Ehud. Um, and what, what can we take away from that? I just came up with three things that I think we can, we can see from the example of Ehud. Ehud had confidence in God. He knew that what God would be able to do, uh, as we have, uh, have seen before. Again, remember, several generations have passed. They did not know, this. they did not experience the same victories uh, before through God when he took over the land. Uh, Ehud demonstrates again uh, God's power and, and and leading this. And Ehud had that confidence in God. He also... Um, was willing to take up a hard job. I mean, we don't understand, we don't know exactly what prompted Ehud to do all this. Uh, we, it's not revealed to us, uh, perhaps like, uh, oh, um, starts with a G, Gideon, where, where he had many visions uh, and that prompted in, in different tests that prompted him. For all we can tell, Ehud took this upon himself to do. Uh, that he stepped up and did a hard task. Um, but he didn't do it by himself. He had his Israelite brethren that were able to, to go with him and to do, uh, to do this with him. So if we can take that as an example and think, you know, what can we do with the confidence that we have with God? It is the foundation of everything that we do, we know, and what we live. We, we trust that uh, we have we have committed to him uh, for a purpose. We know that he will fulfill that purpose, and that we can uh, can live as he have us to do. That we will be rewarded in the end because we have that confidence with him. Even Paul, uh, as strong and faithful as he was, um, he uh, he relied on the confidence that he had with Jesus. Um, he says that uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 that he was the, the least of all the apostles, but nevertheless it was the confidence that he had through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his ministry, that, that he was able to do what he needed to do, that he had complete access and confidence in God as he did that. And if we turn to First uh, John chapter 5, Starting in verse 13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you, may, that you have eternal life, 
and that this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything of him according to his will, he will hear us. So, uh, with John, as he, he gives us this, that we can... We have confidence in God that we can, that He will listen to us. We have access to Him. We can ask of anything that He, we would want and He will hear us and we, we will continue to support us in that matter. Like Ehud, as we're not fighting a king, but, but we, we are living a life and, and striving to, to live, uh, true to God, that we can, we have confidence that we can go to God in prayer, ask anything and He will hear us. But there are things that we have to do as we're living in this, and sometimes it's not, a, not uh, fun things to do or things that you enjoy doing, um, that, but we do have responsibility as a church to, to do those, and, and it takes people stepping up and, and doing hard things. Um, we can see several occasions of, of different writings of, of uh Admonishing us to, to mature in the faith, to the knowledge, and, and not to be as little babes as, as the Corinthians were and criticized for that they couldn't take additional teaching. Um, but then as, as Peter also writes in a little bit different saying that as, as young children, uh, strive for the milk of the word so that the, then you can mature and grow into other things. And back in Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about different abilities people may have. He's given some to be apostles, some to be uh, evangelists, and so on, and different things. And that people have different abilities, but as we as we need to mature and continue to grow and to build and develop and strive to do those things uh, as we continue to um, to grow and mature as Christians, to to step up and do those hard things. Sometimes um, we we have to be. Uh, again, in Corinthians, as Paul says, that we uh, need to be steadfast, unmovable, to, to, to continue to work even when the work becomes difficult. And uh, we studied this morning, looking again at 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Again, I'll start back in, in verse 9. The relationship that we have with each other. Again, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we are striving and trying to build and, and do different things, we know that, uh, again, we have confidence in God that he will be there for us and that we can get strength uh, so that as we are trying to, to live this life, we know that we're doing it for God and, and for him and we continue to um, to grow and, and mature in that respect. 
finally, we can't do it without others. Um, the This idea in Peter that he's talking about the strength that we get from one another, uh, it does... Uh, is necessary for us to support one another and encourage one another. Um, probably, you know, second only to the support and confidence that we have in God is the support we can provide each other. Um, Paul, again, uh, many times as we can read, uh, commended others that were coming to help him. In, very, in the very beginning, even um, Peter and James are the one who brought Paul and kind of got the, the other Christians to accept him because uh, these other, other people supported Paul. The end of his life, he's in prison, and he needed the help of others to come and, and uh, work with him along the way. He sent, uh, send Mark. He is helpful to me uh, in many ways uh, as, as Paul continued. He needed the help of others. Um, like we have been studying in Peter, uh, Hebrews also uh, talking about a time when we especially need the help of others um, in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, very familiar passage, and starting in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Perhaps the destruction of Jerusalem as we talked this morning, but the encouragement as we are continuing to, to face difficulties as living a Christian life, uh, encouraging one another, and the best time to do that, or right time that we're all together, is in our assemblies and regular Bible studies. That is so much uh, encouragement to, to have people here uh, to encourage one another. So, in taking away from uh, Ehud and what we can learn from him, uh, he is not mentioned in the chapter 11 of Hebrews. Other, other judges are. Uh, but perhaps he's one of the others that mentioned no name, uh, but is definitely a, 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 an example for us. Uh, the next chapter of, of Hebrews, chapter 12, since we are encompassed about with such great uh, a cloud of witnesses, those examples in chapter 11 and others that we can see in the Bible, uh, just to show that encouragement, uh, and, and support as we go through our lives, trying to live as Christians and, and supporting one another that we are not going to go through this life on our own, but we have each other to support and grow along.